Remember the 90s, when MTV still played music videos, when people still bought physical copies of albums, and when legendary musicians like Kurt Cobain and Dimebag Daryl still walked the earth? Well, now you can once again relive that decade every week on KBGA because your favorite 90s radio show, Sounds Like Teen Spirit, is back and better than ever. It's still the best show on KBGA to hear artists like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Sublime, Megadeth, Primus, and more. Again, that's Sounds Like Teen Spirit. Now on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m., only on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. off this program with Straight off their 1997 album Eight Arms to Hold You. Welcome to the award-winning Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I'm your ubiquitous host, Ian. This episode's got music from the likes of Jawbreaker, Love and Rockets, Sepultura, Mr. Bungle, Common, Blues Traveler, The Replacements, Killing Joke, Goldfinger, and Babes in Toyland. 
Plus, I'm going to be reviewing and playing a song a piece from the new Ugly Kid Joe album, Rad Wings of Destiny, released on October 21st, the new Devin Townsend album, Lightwork, released on November 4th, the new Smashing Pumpkins album, Autumn Act 1, released on the 15th, and the complete 2022 discography of Guided by Voices, which encompasses the album's Crystal Nuns Cathedral, released on March 4th, Tremblers and Goggles by Rank on July 1st, and Scalping the Guru on October 28th. I'll start with Ugly Kid Joe. Ugly Kid Joe have always taken sort of a grab bag approach to recording albums. Whitfield Krang and the gang essentially just play the stuff they like and slap it all together onto a disc, and they like a whole lot of stuff. In particular, they tend to demonstrate a reverence for artists that are now widely purported to be classic rock, your ACDCs and GNRs and what have you, and that reverence largely colors the band's latest album, Rad Wings of Destiny, whose title was indeed inspired by Judas Priest. The first new Ugly Kid Joe album in seven years, and only their fifth one overall, Rad Wings of Destiny is a modest 40-minute set comprised of 10 songs that sound about as different from one another as 10 songs occupying the same album could be, but are nonetheless connected through their shared appreciation of the classics. The album kicks off with its uncannily ACDC-esque lead single, That Ain't Livin', and although the song is admittedly better than my rather dismissive take on it from a few episodes ago would suggest, it's ultimately far from being an album standout due to adhering way too closely to ACDC's signature blueprint. At this point, ACDC themselves have done their own sound to death so much that they've hardly left Ugly Kid Joe any room to do so. On the other hand, the follow-up track, Not Like the Other, is a definite highlight and sounds somewhat reminiscent of Ugly Kid Joe's arguably biggest hit, Everything About You, finding that exact same sweet spot between grunge and pop-punk. It probably could have been just as big of a hit for the band if it were released around the same time roughly 30 years ago. Curiously, though, it's not even among the five songs from Rad Wings of Destiny that's had a single release thus far. The third track on the album, Everything's Changin', is a folksy semi-ballad in a similar vein to the 1993 single Busy Bee, but with more of an overt Cat Stevens vibe. Although this one wasn't among my personal highlights at first, it has grown on me considerably after just a couple more spins. Next up is the album's second single, Kill the Pain, which is probably the single most contemporarily influenced song on Rad Wings of Destiny. This one is essentially a darkness-tinged mid-tempo number about the hopelessness of addiction that takes after modern post-grunge, and even though it's not one of my favorites, it still sounds like nothing else on the album and certainly brings something to the table. Track number five is a cover song, effectively reaffirming an Ugly Kid Joe tradition. The band established an affinity for covers early on with a cover of Black Sabbath's Sweet Leaf on their 1991 debut EP, followed by a rendition of N.I.B. on their 1998 Greatest Hits album, and most prominently did so with their cover of Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle from their first album, which remains one of Ugly Kid Joe's biggest songs to date. Although the band's second and third albums were completely bereft of covers, they more than made up for it on their very belated fourth album, 2015's Uglier Than They Used To Be, which included covers of both Ace of Spades and Papa Was a Rolling Stone. For their fifth outing, the band elected to cover the Kinks' 1970 hit, Lola, and they basically afforded it the exact same treatment they gave to Cats in the Cradle. Like, if you're well familiarized with that cover, then you should have no problem imagining to a T what the band's take on Lola would sound like. 
I ultimately consider the Ugly Kid Joe version of Cats in the Cradle to be a very solid cover, though, so that last remark is decidedly a compliment coming from me. The next two tracks on Rad Wings of Destiny are both among the album's very best. Track number six is Dead Friends Play, a hard-rocking tribute to fallen musicians like Lemmy and John Bonham, built around the catchy refrain of, Good to hear the music when your dead friends play. Track number seven, Up in the City, is similarly awesome, but in a much more understated way. That one rides along a laid-back, lightly funky mid-tempo groove that almost sounds like a lax reinterpretation of Green Day's Brain Stew, and it's definitely one of the most infectious songs on the album, as well as the longest at nearly five minutes in length. Track number eight is a definite change-up for Ugly Kid Joe. Drinkin' and Drivin', the shortest song on the album at under two and a half minutes, is a mellow little country ditty that sounds like a cross between Blind Melon and Merle Haggard. It's fairly slight and something of a novelty compared to the rest of the album's tracks, but it's still undeniably interesting. The penultimate track on Rad Wings of Destiny is the album's fourth and final pre-release single, Failure. Like the lead single and opener, this one has also invited many comparisons to ACDC, but since the former fits that mold much more precisely, I'm more inclined to compare the song to late 60s, early 70s The Who. It's got a fire in its belly reminiscent of those most vital Who recordings, even though it comes from the perspective of an out-and-proud lowlife. Finally, the closing track is third pre-release single, Long Road, which sends Rad Wings of Destiny out on a high. This is another country-ish number, which seemingly finds the middle ground between the aforementioned everything's changing and drinking and driving, and its poignant yet hopeful soaring chorus feels perfect for an album closer. Overall, Rad Wings of Destiny is a somewhat leaner and somewhat stronger album than its 2015 predecessor, Uglier Than They Used To Be, and despite its rougher edges, is undoubtedly the best thing to come out of Ugly Kid Joe's post-reunion period thus far. That the album reunited the band with producer Mark Dodson, who also helmed their classic 1992 LP, America's Least Wanted, on top of well-regarded albums by Anthrax, Jews, Priests, and Suicidal Tendencies, is likely no coincidence. Alright, next I've decided to play that would-be Ugly Kid Joe hit of yesteryear, Not Like the Other. Enjoy!
Slušajte KBG im iz ugla Montana, aj u zdravlju.
feel I'm on top again, baby. That's got everything to do with you. I'm alive. portion of KBGA is brought to you by Imagination Brewing Company. By supporting over 1,700 community events and its educational center, Imagination brews handcrafted beer to make a positive impact on Missoula and beyond. For more information about what's on tap, 
weekly live music offerings, or to reserve the center, call 406-926-1251 or visit imaginationbrewing.com.
T's and Q's, Buster, and remember who you're dealing with. KBGA Missoula, the cabbage. their 2002 album, Dark Days. Cold Chamber is back once again, folks. The band originally formed in 1993 and released three albums before disbanding in 2003. They ended up reuniting in 2011, with three of the four original members participating, frontman Des Fafara, guitarist Meigs Rascone, and drummer Mikey Cox. 
Initially, they had hired a new bassist, Chelaria Harper, but after a couple years, she was replaced by Nadia Poulin, who had previously served in Cold Chamber from 1999 to 2000, and then again from 2002 to 2003, following the temporary return of original bassist Raina Foss. They released a fourth album titled Rivals in 2015 and broke up once again the following year. Fafara had declared as recently as 2018 that Cole Chamber will never be back, but he appeared to have softened his stance in a 2020 interview. Then, earlier this month, Cole Chamber was revealed to be reuniting again via the lineup announcement for the inaugural Sick New World Festival, a celebration of -of turn-of-the-century rock and metal that will take place in Vegas next May and also host the likes of Deftones, System of a Down, Incubus, Korn, and Papa Roach. The band's lineup will once again consist of Fafara, Rascone, Cox, and Poulin. At this point, no further Cold Chamber plans have been confirmed beyond this upcoming festival show, but it seems like they're leaving the door open to the future anyway. On the day of the Sick New World announcement, all four members independently shared the festival lineup on Instagram and commented on their inclusion. Ultimately, their comments were short, generic, and unrevealing, with one notable exception. Mikey Cox was surprisingly forthcoming about his decision to man the kid again in his social media post, which reads as follows. After our last tours in 2015, I was coming off stage very depressed and wanting to be home with my young son. I was missing a lot and it started to really get to me. I made the decision that if we stop again, it was my last time ever playing again. After our last show, it was over and that's what I did. I completely retired from music and began focusing on my family life and raising our son. With the tremendous support and encouragement from my wife, we moved to a new city, bought a new house, and my construction company is booming. Everything was exactly where we wanted it to be. After years of hard work, therapy, sobriety, two elbow surgeries, I found extreme peace with not being a musician anymore. Over the years, I kept in contact with Des Fafara, and I feel like for the first time in 25 years, we actually became real friends. Both our families went through a lot over the past years, and we were actually there for each other. We actually listened to each other, and that means more than any band at this point in my life. That slowly changed the conversation of starting to play again, and here we are. I really thought about this decision for a long time with my family and what it meant to jump back in, and this was a family decision. Our son is older now and always asks about what I used to do. Now I can just show him all the crazy hardcore cold chamber fans we have out there. It's an exciting time for us all. The future looks bright. Okay, based on all that was revealed in that comment, I have a very hard time imagining this gig will go down as a one-off. It seems like they've moved past the issues that kept them from staying together long-term, and I've got a strong feeling that Cold Chamber is back for good this time, at the very least on an intermittent basis. Whatever happens, I'll be sure to keep watch and report back any other major developments within the Cold Chamber camp. Anyway, before Cold Chamber, I played It's Me by Dinosaur Jr. off their 2007 album Beyond. The Air-Conditioned Nightmare by Mr. Bungle off their 1999 album California, Wallflower by Goldfinger off their 2020 album Never Look Back, So Alive by Love and Rockets off their 1989 self-titled, and Pistol Grip Pump by Rage Against the Machine off their 2000 album Renegades. 
Once again, you're listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com SLTS2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org teen spirit. Alright, next I'm going to review and play a song from Guided by Voices 2022 discography. Guided by Voices, spearheaded by true musical workhorse Robert Polyard, have been putting out three albums per year without fail since 2019, so sure enough, the band delivered three more in 2022. Their first album of the year, Crystal Nun's Cathedral, came out in March, and honestly, it's about as pedestrian a GBV album as they come. I actually last listened to the album moments before writing this review, and I'm still struggling to recall much of it. Forced to See is an interesting tune, I guess, with a lovely slow-building intro that encompasses roughly half the song's three-and-a-half-minute runtime, and the longest tracks, like Eyes of Your Doctor and Mad River Man, are generally stronger due to having more time and space to stretch their legs, but the rest of the album may as well have been a fever dream. Overall, I consider it the least essential of the three GBV albums released this year. The second one was Tremblers and Goggles by Rank in July, and that one's ultimately the best of the three, though it's still not especially remarkable. This album flirts pretty heavily with prog rock, boasting some proggy guitar riffs, hypnotic instrumental passages, elaborate outros, and of course, longer songs. Indeed, Tremblers is almost the same length as Crystal Nun's Cathedral and contains two fewer tracks, so you already know you're in for at least some atypically long ones. GBV songs seldom get up to four minutes, and although the previous album includes no less than three surpassing that length, Tremblers does it one better, with four songs exceeding the four-minute mark, two of those pushing past five, and the longest, closing track Who Wants to Go Hunting, topping off at six minutes and 17 seconds. That officially makes it now the longest GBV song I've ever heard, surpassing the previous record holder, Lights Out in Memphis from last year's Earthman Blues, by over 30 seconds. Of course, there are still a number of shorter songs as well, but even those ones are unusually busy. Cartoon Fashion, for instance, is under three minutes long and yet phases through three distinct movements over its fleeting runtime. Ultimately, the prog elements on Tremblers helped the album to stand out among its peers, but GBV had been proggy before, even on fairly recent outings like 2019's Sweating the Plague and 2020's Surrender Your Poppy Field, and this one hardly pushes the envelope any further. However, it's still a relatively interesting listen, and if I weren't feeling kind of burnt out on GBV, I might even be fawning over it right now. Finally, the third new Guided by Voices album this year, October's Scalping the Guru, is undoubtedly the most unique of the three, but it's also not exactly a new album. Technically, it's a compilation of songs from four obscure EPs released between 1993 and 94, so right off the bat, the album sounds jarringly different from other recent GBV albums due to having been recorded almost three decades prior with notably more minimalistic production values. Polyard had hand-selected 20 of the 28 total songs contained between the EPs and Frankenstein them together to play like a proper album, and I gotta admit, the man actually pulled it off. Scalping the Guru feels surprisingly cohesive, with most songs on the album sounding distinct from the ones that came just before, while also picking up right where they left off faultlessly. In terms of its song lengths, the album is a complete 180 from its immediate predecessor, Tremblers, blazing through twice as many songs in over four minutes less time. 
Only one of its songs lasts longer than three minutes, most of them are under two, and a handful of them even come in under one. Typically, I find GBV's shorter songs, the 90 seconds or less ones, to be somewhat lacking and think Pollyard relies a bit too heavily on them to fluff up his albums, but in this context, they work better. In assembling Scalping the Guru almost entirely from short songs and having them transition snappily from one to the next, Pollyard leaned pretty much wholeheartedly into the cohesive body type of album. A lot of Guided by Voices albums seemingly try to be both song collections and cohesive bodies, never fully succeeding at either, but just by simply picking a lane, Scalping the Guru offers a more captivating than average GBV listening experience. It's kind of like listening to the lo-fi indie rock equivalent of the Beatles medley that dominates the second half of Abbey Road. As a song collection, however, forget about it. When taken individually, the songs here really aren't all that good, and although there are a few highlights, such as Grandfather Westinghouse with its Primus-like vibe, the bulk of these songs tend to go in one ear and out the other. I think I might actually be more impressed with the achievement behind the album than with the album itself. I mean, surely Pollyard couldn't possibly have planned for all these songs from different early EPs to fit together like this, right? He must spend so much of his time cranking out new music that there's no way he's thinking about how he might repurpose it three decades later, right? Scalping the Guru certainly gets points for its unconventional nature, but it doesn't really have much to offer in terms of replay value. You'll likely be enjoying the ride during that initial spin, but you'll also likely forget what you've heard by the time it's even left your ears. Alright, here's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to play a song from Crystal Nuns Cathedral next, a song from Tremblers and Goggles by Rank in my 2022 Album of the Year show next month, and I'm not going to do a song from Scalping the Guru, at least not within these next couple episodes, because it's an album made up entirely of old, previously released material, and I'm trying to highlight the new stuff here. From Crystal Nuns Cathedral, here's the longest track at 4 minutes and 12 seconds, Mad River Man. Enjoy!
Listen, we don't need any fancy, super-duper promo. We don't need any of that. See, here with KVGA, we're just a student-run college radio station, and we play music. It's pretty simple. That's it.
Beach Radio.
2015 album The Magic Whip. Blur is another band that will be reuniting next year after a long stretch of inactivity. Like the previously discussed Cold Chamber, Blur last released an album in the spring of 2015 and wrapped their most recent tour later that year, though they also did a surprise one-off in 2019 for an Africa Express event that frontman Damon Albarn hosted in London. Earlier this month, the band announced four reunion shows to take place in Europe next summer. The first one announced was a headlining gig at London's prestigious Wembley Stadium set for July 8th, 2023, with support from Slow Tie, Self Esteem, and Jockstrap. Due to popular demand, the band added a second Wembley show a few days later, scheduled for July 9th. They also announced gigs for Malahide Castle in Dublin on June 24th and the Beauregard Festival in Normandy on July 6th. So at this time, it's looking like the Irish will be the first ones to see Blur in over four years. As for the possibility of more new music from Blur, well, your guess is as good as theirs, according to bassist Alex James and drummer Dave Roundtree. In a November 14th interview the two of them gave to BBC Six Music, James responded to the question of potential new music with, I literally never know what's going to happen next with Damon. It might be the last show, it might be a new album, it's part of the fun of it. To which Roundtree added, it's part of the terror of being in Blur. 
At any rate, I'm certain that new Blur songs are far from the band's minds right now, as pretty much all the members have upcoming albums on their plate from separate musical ventures. Albarn is readying a new album from his arguably more famous side project, Gorillaz, titled Cracker Island and scheduled for February 24th. Guitarist Graham Coxon is unleashing the self-titled debut of his new music duo The Wave with Rose Eleanor Dougal on February 3rd, and Roundtree will be releasing his debut solo album Radio Songs on January 23rd. It's all but certain, though, that further Blur reunion shows will be announced, perhaps even a tour. Hopefully one that comes closer to our neck of the woods than the UK. But hey, it's not like you can fault a Britpop act like Blur for being predominantly Europe-minded. We'll just have to wait our turn. Anyway, before Blur, I played Travis Bickle by Rancid off their 2003 album Indestructible. Dick Jones by Local H off their 2004 album Whatever Happened to PJ Souls. Choke by Sepultura off their 1998 album Against. Can't Hardly Wait by The Replacements off their 1987 album Pleased to Meet Me. Another Soulmate by Jane's Addiction off their 2013 single of the same name, and Dust Cake Boy by Babes in Toyland off their 1990 album Spanking Machine. You're still listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash slts2, and to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org slash teen-spirit. Alright, next I'm going to review and play a song from the new Smashing Pumpkins album, Autumn Act One. The Smashing Pumpkins, especially frontman Billy Corgan, could never be faulted for not dreaming big enough. The band chose to follow up their iconic 1993 sophomore album Siamese Dream with Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, a conceptual double album consisting of 28 songs totaling more than two hours in length. One could only imagine how many Universal Record executives were shitting their pants over the idea, but it was a gambit that unequivocally paid off. Melancholy was universally acclaimed by critics, spawned much of the Pumpkins' biggest hits, including 1979, Bullet with Butterfly Wings, and Tonight Tonight, and achieved diamond certification and sales from the RIAA, vastly eclipsing the quadruple platinum status of its predecessor. Though the Pumpkins created a tough act for themselves to follow, that sure hasn't stopped them from trying. In 2000, they released another double album and conceptual sequel to Melancholy in the Machina and Machina 2 albums, and about a decade later, the band, now with Corgan as the only remaining original member, started Tear Garden by Kaleidoscope, an album they added to piecemeal over roughly five years and comprised 34 total songs and two feature-length self-contained albums when all was said and done. Just at the time it seemed the Pumpkins were on their last legs, they rebounded with the return of original members James Eha and Jimmy Chamberlain. Since then, the newly rejuvenated Pumpkins have issued the albums Shiny and Oso Bright Volume 1 in 2018 and Sear in 2020, with the latter considered to be yet another double album at 20 tracks totaling over 72 minutes, and now the band have gotten back to trying to one-up melancholy again. This time, they've conceived a three-disc, 33-song rock opera titled Autumn, which has been billed as the epic conclusion to an album trilogy that started with Melancholy and continued with Machina. The new album is being released one disc at a time, with the latter two discs scheduled for January and April next year, and the first, aka the subject of this review, having arrived just a couple weeks ago.
Now, given that Autumn Act 1 is the beginning of a trilogy that serves as the conclusion to a greater trilogy, its storyline is set right in the middle of the overarching narrative. The album follows the same rock star protagonist from the Melancholy and Machina albums, whom Corgan based at least partially on himself. On Melancholy, he was a young up-and-comer known simply as Zero, and his quote-unquote story essentially amounted to a series of snippets from his day-to-day -day life. By Machina and Machina 2, Zero had had his big breakthrough, and the albums took on a more focused narrative structure as he wrestled with the pressures of his newfound fame. Zero essentially goes mad and hears the voice of God, which leads to him redubbing himself as Glass, his band as the Machines of God, and his fans as Children of God. For the events of Autumn, Zero slash Glass is much older and is now known as Shiny. Thus far, Corgan has largely remained silent on the finer plot details within the Autumn Trilogy, likely to keep things spoiler-free for the yet-to-be-released second and third acts, and I haven't been able to glean much plot at all based solely on my own interpretation of Act 1's lyrics. However, I'm betting most of you are less concerned with how Autumn Act 1 continues the story of its two conceptual predecessors than you are with how it holds up to them from a musical standpoint, and the answer is, unfortunately, not all that well. Of course, it's impossible to conclusively review the first one-third of an as-yet-incomplete work, but I'm really hoping that Act 1 turns out to be the weakest of the three, because otherwise this whole project is probably going to go down as a big disappointment. Despite Corgan previously suggesting that Autumn would return the Pumpkins to a more guitar-driven sound, and lead single Beguiled, which is on the tracklist for Act 2, more or less affirming that, it turns out to be a not-so-accurate descriptor for the bulk of Act 1. Of the 11 tracks that comprise this first disc, I'd say only two of them, The Good in Goodbye and Beyond the Veil, could be adequately described as guitar-driven. The rest of the album pretty much continues with the relatively upbeat synth-pop sound of the previous Smashin' Pumpkins outing, Seer, so your enjoyment of Autumn Act 1 will largely hinge on how you felt about that album. As for me, I liked Seer well enough as a one-off diversion, it certainly had some interesting ideas anyway, but not so much as a potential future direction for the Pumpkins, and I'm considerably less receptive to it in the context of an album that was implicitly promised to be a return to form. That being said, the overtly synthy sounds carried over from Seer still managed to result in some solid moments on Autumn Act 1. My personal highlights from Act 1, aside from the aforementioned two guitar-driven songs, include the album's instrumental intro and title track, which at least incorporates some measure of guitar and feels reminiscent of Melancholy's intro-slash-title track and its hints of an epic saga to follow, Steps in Time, on which the guitar and synth tracks essentially run parallel and beef each other up, with Chamberlain pounding the drums forcefully in the background, and Hooray, which proves to be irresistibly catchy in an 80s new wave kind of way. Overall, though, Autumn Act 1 is an underwhelming first chapter to an album trilogy that, like the current Smashing Pumpkins reunion thus far, still has much to prove. I remain optimistic for the next two discs to pay off both those things, given the trilogy's lead single and most of its songs that the band have been playing live recently, but now more cautiously so. Alright, next I'm going to roll my favorite track from Act 1, and surprise surprise, it's one of the guitar songs. The main riff really sounds like something they might have used on Melancholy. There's actually a fair amount of synth on this track, but make no mistake, the guitar is the one in the driver's seat. This is Beyond the Veil. Enjoy!
The newest, the hottest, the most overproduced crap you've ever heard. All on KBGA Missoula. 9.9 FM. Guys formed a colony, Rana be beaten. Save my day, dancing on speakers, flame Snapchat was born this way. 87th Street of High Park was warring. Over gossip, Kimwood Bros is pouring. Suited in three-quarter Jordans, pro models, and started coats out the back of beauty shops, ballers. Bought a dope, put my name in they verse, EPMD I would quote. Stolen leathers I sell, like a charter boat behind the beat. I took my first shot of Henny and hit me in the chest like with no mom shot Benji. Same on the girl that left up Fendi around crew. Either go do it or take it. We was bound to traveling like vice lords down to the tape. I wanted to bring my lady around crew cause they were snake. House parties was the lick behind bars. We come up. Adam, I did the hooper dance with my thumbs up. Draw with them, cause they was born to trace. At times I contemplate moving to a warmer place than the lake and skyline. Give me a warm embrace, reminding me of the pointed parties Mo used to make. Six deep in the Hyundai bumping Twilight Tone tapes. Come home late, calling bras, hang up on their mother. There was nowhere to scrap at that we would fight each other. Get a room at the dunes, having fake outs. We eat at Giordano's and break out. Then everybody thought that they could spin. High rollers had the MCM blazer blend. To rose and yes jeans, we was taking in. Cranes and freight trains, we was breaking in. Tim will be basing Mike down at IIT. Remembering numbers depended on how high I be. It's a deja vu when I see bottles of kill. My man sat past, I feel hollow, but still. Yeah. 
This is Silver Sprocket, host of Something Else, live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM. I feature avant-garde, electroacoustic, free jazz, and more creative music every week. You'll get to hear advanced new releases straight from the artists and record labels before anybody else and extensive interviews with the artists themselves. How about you give something else a try? Live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. on KBGA Missoula, 89.9 FM, and streaming at kbga.org.
is James Pants from the Stone's Throw label in the forests of Spokane. You are listening to KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM. When I see the connection, though I see I don't stare, though I see I don't stare. When I'm lost in my reflection, though I see I don't stare, though I see I don't stare. Then I change my direction. One foot follows the other, one foot follows something new. Cause I need some protection. I'm scared I could lose it If I stare, you'll be gone When I need some attention Though I see, I don't stare 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 When I'm lost in my reflection Though I see, I don't stare Though I see, I don't stare Then I change my direction One foot follows the other One foot follows something new Cause I need some protection And I'm scared I could lose it If I stare, you'll be gone That was Fish with The Connection off their 2004 album Undermind. So I just found out a few days ago that Fish Surprise released a new album on Halloween this year, but not as Fish. Okay, maybe I need to back up a bit. Fish are one of those bands who routinely celebrate Halloween, and for them, that usually means special shows in costume on Halloween night with uniquely tailored sets that include covers of entire albums. For their 2021 Halloween show in Vegas, they performed their second set of the evening dressed as a band of futuristic warriors named Sci-Fi Soldier, and they played an entire album of original, never-before-heard material titled Get More Down. Well, Fish didn't do a Halloween show for 2022, but that didn't stop them from commemorating the holiday in another cool way. Instead, they released a complete studio recording of Get More Down under the Sci-Fi Soldier name. The band did this without any warning or precedent, and as of press time, none of the guys in Fish have publicly acknowledged their connection to the album or even its existence, though they have been promoting it under the guise of a Sci-Fi Soldier Instagram account. 
On Spotify, the written by and produced by credits for the album have been left blank, but the source is listed as Fish's JEMP Records label, and Apple Music attributes the copyright to Fish Incorporated. So evidence of the connection is out there. Now, I have listened to Get More Down, and I want to get too analytical with it here in case I review it in the next episode, but I'll just say that it ain't your daddy's fish. It's basically fish meets Parliament Funkadelic, with song lengths that are uncharacteristically short for both those artists, like the one I just played. And for now, I think I'll just leave it at that. Anyway, before fish, I played Miss the Misery by the Foo Fighters, off their 2011 album, Wasting Light. All in the Groove by Blues Traveler, off their 1991 album, Travelers and Thieves. Chesterfield King by Jawbreaker, off their 1992 album, Bivouac. Seeing Red by Killing Joke, off their 2003 self-titled. And Reminding Me of Seth by Common, featuring Shantae Savage, off his 1997 album, One Day It'll All Make Sense. And that about wraps up a holistic episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I've been your host, Ian. I believe this was my last traditional episode for 2022. So the next time you'll hear from me will be my 2022 Album of the Year show, which I'm planning to air three weeks from today on December 18th. As per usual, I'll be revisiting virtually all of the 30-plus albums I've reviewed over the past year and will conclude by naming my very favorite of the lot. I'm also taking the opportunity to review and play from the new NoFX album coming out this Friday, as well as perhaps some other 2022 albums I may have initially overlooked, like that Sci-Fi Soldier album. But don't think that the airing of my big 2022 retrospective means I'll be done with the year, even though that's usually what it means. The following Sunday is Christmas Day, and I just may have something... miraculous planned for the coming holiday. Hint, hint. In the meantime, I'm capping off this episode by reviewing and playing a song from the new Devin Townsend album, Lightwork. Devin Townsend is most commonly associated with the metal genre for good reason. It's pretty much undisputably his default style, with many of his albums being rooted in it, and he's been nicknamed Heavy Devi for crying out loud. In reality, though, pigeonholing Townsend as a metal artist is a fool's game. For, as any seasoned fan could tell you, metal is truly only scratching the surface with him. Over the now 28 albums he's released to date between Strapping Young Lad, The Devin Townsend Band, The Devin Townsend Project, Casualties of Cool, and a solo career, Townsend has also dabbled in prog, art rock, punk, classical, alt-country, ambient electronica, and just about everything in between. His 2019 album Empath, which marked his first album as a solo artist in roughly 12 years, was apparently an attempt to synthesize all these different styles into one epically robust package. This was essentially Townsend throwing everything he had at the wall, and all of it stuck! Although Townsend's released a couple other albums in between, his brand new album Lightwork is the proper successor to Empath, once again amalgamating a diverse array of genres and song elements to produce a similarly comprehensive end result. The difference is that this time around, Townsend has decidedly skimped on one key ingredient, the metal. Like Empath, Lightwork can be called a number of different things, but it's not a metal album. Though that being said, it does get surprisingly intense in certain moments that border on metal. 
Sure, Townsend's put out plenty of non-metal albums in the past, but this one, being otherwise as archetypal and definitive a Townsend album as they come, feels especially like a calculated effort to prove that the essence of his artistry transcends metal and is by no means beholden to it. Ultimately, though, his thoughtful interpolation of styles here is so engaging and fulfilling that I really don't think his metalhead fans will mind the omission. Lightwork kicks off on an immediately disarming note with the pop song Moon People, and the simple, minimalistic nature of its beginnings completely belies all the complexities and intricacies laid throughout the album to follow, even those within the rest of the song itself. By the end of its runtime, the song escalates into full-bore Devin Townsend, replete with soaring operatic vocals, densely layered walls of sound, and an undeniably grandiose feel. This particular vibe is sustained throughout the next three songs, Lightworker, Equinox, and Call of the Void, which can all be characterized as quintessential Townsend, if there ever was such a thing. Don't take that to mean those songs are relatively milquetoast, however. In fact, I think they represent some of Townsend's finest work yet. From here, though, the album really starts to diversify. Heartbreaker is a dizzying, seven-minute prog epic with metal flirtations that would have been right at home on Empath. Dimensions is a high-energy electro-industrial number that feels wholly unique and refreshing even coming from a veteran genre bender like Townsend. Heavy Burden is an interludal sort of track built around a hypnotic refrain sung by Townsend's designated female backing vocalists. Vacation sounds like a Radiohead song, which wouldn't be all that weird except it's more like a Pablo Honey Radiohead song. And Children of God is Lightwork's warm, uplifting, and beautiful 10-minute closing track, which at some indeterminate point begins gradually transitioning into an ethereal soundscape. All of these disparate elements must seem wildly incongruent with one another on paper, and in the hands of another artist they likely would be, but Townsend's heavily refined musical identity and painstaking production efforts managed to convincingly anchor them all together. With Lightwork, he has crafted something that defies characterization and needs not be affixed with any labels other than that of a Devin Townsend album. Light work is indeed lighter work for Townsend, but the end result is truthfully no less awe-inspiring than his maximum capacity efforts. Despite stripping away the heavy metal veneer so inexorably linked to his image, Townsend ultimately succeeded in delivering a worthy follow-up to Empath that in some ways even surpasses its predecessor. It's more accessible and more emotional, and it resonated with me harder than Empath did, so I'm actually inclined to declare it the superior outing. If you've been on the fence about Devin Townsend for whatever reason, now is the time to get off. Oh, and although this review is mainly just concerned with the standard edition of Lightwork, I still want to say a few words about the deluxe edition, which adds an entire second disc of new material dubbed Nightwork and effectively turns the album into a staggering double album that clocks in at roughly an hour and 43 minutes in total. Nightwork is definitely the weirder and more experimental disc of the two, and makes for a fine companion piece to the default album. However, though it comes recommended for any enthusiastic fan of the first disc, and even boasts a pair of proper metal songs in Starcasm Part 2 and Factions, it's not an essential addendum, and the average listener would likely find the basic Lightwork package to be a sufficient enough meal on its own. Alright, I'm playing myself out with the album's third and final pre-release single and semi-title track, Lightworker. I think this song's chorus may be one of the very best things Devin Townsend has ever done. Well, toodles! Mm-hmm.
understand that is also the plane of flow, which is the plane of pure love, the plane of no boundaries of energy.